Has winter arrived at your place as well? Yeah, how can you tell? It's very cold now. It's okay, I'm ready. We're going skiing this weekend to bring it in, so. Uh, where are you going skiing? There's no snow anywhere. But we, we got some snow last week, but the mountains also make their own snow. We had two days of snow. Like, uh, this part of Sweden is terrible for snow because it's coastal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good with wind and rain, but snow generally doesn't stick around in a yeah. fun way. Sometimes, but not often. Uh, Alex, when's, when's due? Yeah. Uh, so the due date is Christmas Day, so December 25th. Solid. But, oh my I gosh. Think, I don't think she's going to make it to December 25th. You don't I think, think so? will be here in like two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Hol- holiday season, baby. Christmas season. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Bean Radio. All right. Hello and welcome to this episode of Beam Radio. I am joined today by co-host Lars Bickman. Hello. Hi, Lars. We've also got Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. And I am Sophie DiBenedetto. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest today who I will introduce in just a moment. Um, but before we do, I would love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Groxio. Uh, Bruce couldn't be here with us today, but we always like to thank Groxio for their support and encourage our listeners to check them out. As always, there's some great content on there in the Elixir space in particular. Um, let's see, what other announcements do we have for you guys? I don't think there's anything coming up, but of course I would love to remind our listeners to keep an eye out for the Code Beam talks that I believe we'll be releasing uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks or a lot of great talks on there. And uh, some of those folks will be joining us on the podcast in the coming weeks and months. So you can keep an ear out for that as well. All right, so without further ado, I am very excited to introduce our guest for today. We have Mateusz Front and uh, Oh gosh, did I say that right? I can just do it again if I have to. Mateusz, is that right? Hi, hello, hello from Poland. It's definitely all right. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Mateusz comes to us today to talk a little bit about the membrane framework. But before we tell our listeners all about membrane, what it is, how it works, why it's so great, tell us a little bit about your background with Elixir, specifically the Beam in general. How did you get into this community, Mateusz? Uh, so I got there through Membrane because Membrane is actually the my first project in Elixir. Uh, so uh, I was thrown into like a deep water and uh, it took me some time to learn like some base, some things that are basic for other projects like Phoenix stuff or some OTP principles because this project was quite specific. But I loved Elixir syntax uh, from the from the very beginning. I learned it, and it took me quite um, not 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 that long to learn Elixir, which I liked uh, also a lot. Uh, so that's how it started, and then I enjoyed the uh, language, enjoyed the community, and got deeper and deeper. Does that mean you came? sort of right out of school and into an elixir job or did you have a longer background as a programmer in before you started with elixir almost i um, was um in a kind of internship before i did some wild development i did some uh backend development in ruby uh, but uh, quite shortly after after uh, like starting my first job, I got into Elixir. Wow, that's pretty neat. I've spoken to a few people at Software Mansion uh, over the last few years, and I know that they do recruit uh, 
right out of university a fair bit for uh, both membrane and other sort of consulting work. So uh, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised. Uh, it, it's a neat thing, just picking up people based off of based off of what they've learned at school and then training them into Elixir, because of course there's not much of Elixir training at university typically. Uh, it's actually is at our university. Uh, it's Erlangen Elixir, but- uh, Wait, actually... what? Yeah. It hold is. on, no, hold on. Hold on, stop everything. <laughs> um, what, what university was it again? Oh, it's called AGH University of Science and Technology. It's based in Krakow mm -hmm. and uh, we have a uh, uh, like teacher who um, knows Erlang and it uh, used, he used to learn uh, teach Erlang. Now uh, I think that there, there are some elixir classes as well uh, in this uh, subject. It's optional, but it's there anyway. That's fantastic. Who is your teacher? Um, no, uh, <laughs> no I, I barely remember him actually. Okay. It was a long time ago. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I won't take a risk to to uh, remember his Get name. Get around. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, sure, Matthias's old teacher from university, um, hit us up on Twitter. Come on the show. Let's talk about teaching elixir. Uh, at that university level, that's so neat that you were able to actually learn some of that as a student. Um, I guess I know of some folks that have done some Erlang in college or university, but haven't heard of anyone doing elixir in that environment, and that's really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, Erlang is very, very common at university in Sweden, especially so Gothenburg Chalmers, uh, mm -hmm. because they have sort of a collaboration with Ericsson. I, I think, I think that's the foundation. But it's also like it's a Swede, Sweden developed language. Right. Uh, there's a little bit of pride there, and it teaches some interesting concepts that most languages don't. So uh, it definitely tends to come up in computer science in Sweden, but Elixir. I have not heard, uh, but then again. Once, once Jose came to, to our university and gave a lecture because he lives nearby. So maybe that's his influence. Yeah, I mean, Elixir is a language developed in Poland, right? <laughs> or at least the, uh, the creator lives in Poland. All right, maybe it's time to get into membrane then. And I think I've, I'm the one of this panel that have actually touched membrane and done things with membrane uh, i remember hearing about it quite early on and just exploring this sprawling mass of libraries uh, that does a ton of interesting things and also the sort of more central guide that says this is how everything fits together this is how you use it and i tried doing some early stuff with it and it worked for for certain things it worked well for certain things i had a bit of trouble and overall it was a very cool way of wrangling media but I think you can probably explain better what membrane is and uh, why why it's been built okay so membrane general is a media processing framework so uh, you can build pretty much any media processing uh, stuff based on it uh, because it provides a lot of plugins that can be merged, joined together and uh, used to create something cool, hopefully. Uh, so basically we at Software Mansion are uh, doing uh, quite a lot of stuff with multimedia and we have been doing that for uh, years. And 
we found it difficult to do uh, to use um, current tools, uh, we that which lacked uh, flexibility, which were pretty low level, and they didn't really fit our way uh, of creating software because uh, we're mainly creating software for startups, which uh, have uh, changing requirements, which wants to have POCs quickly. Uh, so we wanted something that we can use to create, uh, for example, a POC of some uh, video, video streaming system, and then uh, show, that, uh, show something that works uh, without spending like a year uh, and uh, then um, then having something to show, because uh, that was uh, that was unacceptable, uh, basically, because everyone wanted to uh, have a more agile way of development. Uh, so that's how Membrane came to birth, and it started as uh, an engine for a radio broadcasting system, and then depending on what we had actually. Uh, what projects we actually did. Uh, we developed a membrane that way uh, to support things that we actually needed uh, in our um, projects for clients. Uh, now membrane has grown a lot and it became more uh, independent, I would say. And fortunately we can now drive it uh, more uh, like, um, with more thought, we, we've uh, prepared some long-term goals that we can meet uh, without having to adjust to the current needs, uh, like focusing the work or on the of the whole team on a particular thing just because we have a project uh, to complete. Uh, so that's basically a history of membrane in short. Uh, so you said it's used for multimedia processing. So I'm guessing both audio and uh, video, right? Yeah. What other tools does it uh, kind of compare with? Is it kind of like uh, like FFmpeg or does it leverage FFmpeg under the hood and then uh, kind of pipe everything via a port to that? Or uh, yeah, kind of what's that processing pipeline kind of look like with the membrane? Okay, so uh, membrane can be used for uh, the same goals as FFmpeg. Um, however, uh, FMPEG is, uh, I think there are two main differences. The first one is that FMPEG is more static uh, so that you can create a pipeline. You usually do that with a command line and uh, you have some specified inputs and outputs. So you start the pipeline and it, it works, uh, hopefully. Uh, membrane is uh, designed to be more dynamic. For example, you can have a video conference with Membrane so that multiple users dynamically join and leave and these, uh, uh, the streams are properly forwarded and you can react to events. You can plug uh, within it into uh, the middle of this pipeline dynamically and uh, uh, customize it. Uh, more. Another thing is that membrane is more uh, explicit about what it does. Uh, FMPEG, uh, <clears throat> the API of FMPEG is constructed in the way that you uh, tell what do you expect on the input and then tell, uh, tell it what you want as an output. And the FMPEG figures out the way how to process it properly. And you can steer it with uh, some flux uh, that uh, 
that you have to have pretty good knowledge of um, to to achieve exactly uh, the exact uh, way of processing the media. Uh, in membrane, on the other hand, um, the way is the opposite. Uh, you have to precisely specify each step of processing and uh, how this media um, is going to be processed. And then uh, membrane runs that uh, for you, uh, runs this very specific pipeline you, you provide, you specify. Uh, I think these are the main, uh, main differences. However, uh, uh, FMPEC is of course more uh, like, um, Battle tested, I would say it's uh, it has uh, a lot of contributors and it's very widely used, and it supports lots of uh, codecs that membrane doesn't support. Maybe that's another difference that uh, membrane doesn't target like supporting each codec uh, ever invented. It rather uh, supports a limited set of codecs, which is pretty big, uh, anyways and uh, grows dynamically. Uh, however, uh, it's uh, uh, apart from these differences, uh, they are uh, similar tools, which basically means they aren't. And uh, this was a question uh, whether Membrane is using a FEMPEC. Yes, it does. Uh, we, uh, especially we use it for encoders and decoders because uh, they are hard to write. They have to be uh written in a low level language so we uh use them but not via ports uh we use them via nifs because that's faster way and uh we use it also for some other um stuff that doesn't require that computational power however we rather um uh, in these cases we rather try to implement ourselves uh, this uh, uh algorithms uh, support uh, ourselves these protocols in elixir because it turned out to be uh, more customizable and maintainable. Yeah, so that's something that was announced quite recently. There was some some part of H.264 that you shifted from doing with FFmpeg to doing in straight Elixir. Exactly. Yeah. And from experience, I can say that like FFmpeg is super powerful. Uh, but it's also such a pain to figure out exactly which flags you need and what the defaults are and whether you're happy with those defaults. And when it comes to doing things that are slightly more live, it gets even worse. Uh, with Membrane, what you get when you've built, sort of structured a pipeline like this. So a pipeline ends up being one or more, potentially multiple modules, but typically a for the things I've done, it's like I, I define one module, it uses a particular behavior, and then I implement some callbacks and specify things like, oh, I want to read video from, from this kind of source, uh, maybe a file on the system uh, for a very simple case. So maybe this pipeline takes a file input, a file path for input, uh, and then it reads the file and it's supposed to broadcast it uh, live to something else, then I build up this pipeline. But maybe I want to also live push occasional thumbnails because I want to sort of show what what are we currently doing to people that haven't pressed play yet. Then you can add a node to this pipeline that I think it's called T, which so it's a T junction yes. where like, oh, this this copy is 
less important, it's less sensitive. Uh, and from that one, that sort of side channel, I can, there's a tool for cutting specific frames and just grabbing these thumbnails. And of course, once you grab those thumbnails, what do you want to do with them? Oh, well, you can implement a callback to broadcast that you like, you can write them to disk and then you can broadcast a message over Phoenix pub sub and do whatever you want with that information. Um, and something I've experimented with was reading audio from a local audio device and then using, there's an audiometer, um, yes. plugin in or node in uh, membrane. That means I get occasional messages or almost constant messages about the audio levels on the channels on that microphone or that input, which meant I could with live view show the, uh, the microphone levels going up and down just, uh, just based on like what audio am I putting into my microphone right now? So I could essentially almost zero latency, see, um, the audio level, which is in some ways trivial to do. In a like your OS does this for you, right? You see your microphone levels when you speak into your microphone, but then putting that into a web system is something a little bit trickier. And when you have one of these pipelines, it's also like a gen server. You can start multiple of them. Like, oh, I want to read. I want one pipeline that works off of that file. I want one one that works off of that file. I want one that works off of that file, and and just hope you have a beefy enough machine. <laughs> Um, and of course it can do things like convert MP3 audio and AAC audio and raw audio and mix them, I believe as well. Like, there are a ton of tools in there. Uh, it's not all the tools that FFmpeg has, as you mentioned, but it's a, it's a bunch. There's a lot of fun stuff there, especially with something as live as live view in the other end. Uh, there, there's so much fun stuff you can do with media and it. Speaking of live view and uh, integration with that stuff, uh, we have uh, its plans to experiment uh, with uh, live view and provide some live, um, also um, provide some demos. Also, we thought about experimenting with live book and um, adding some smart cells to it to uh, like better showcase membrane. But of course, uh, these are interesting things and the things that you usually don't have to uh, don't have time uh, to accomplish. So, uh, if someone from the community listens to that and is interested in membrane, then I think this is a cool way to contribute and to play with membrane and to achieve something visible. And uh, I think yeah, cool stuff. I hadn't thought of that. So the um audio input thing, an audio input output thing for local file system audio is called port audio. And with that, you can very easily get sort of data in. So if you want to do a fairly impressive and unusual thing with Livebook on your local machine, uh, you could certainly sort of pull in an audio stream and then you have Kino for graphing and all of that live graphing. So there, there's a ton of fun stuff you could do there. Yep, definitely. What came to mind for me was taking the video stream as input and then feeding that to like Axon or some of the ML tools in, in Elixir and doing maybe like object detection like in real time in, in Livebook. That would be pretty cool. Yes, uh, that should actually be quite easily um, achievable in terms of the concept, I guess.
yeah, the actual object detection is tricky. And the, uh, well, actually integrating it with things like, so there's an open CV bindings for Elixir called Evision. Um, and there's, of course, NX. I don't know how easy it, is it to sort of pull a frame and just work off of that uh, in membrane. I've never tried to actually manipulate a video frame. Actually, I did I did some uh, experiments uh, with my colleague uh, to bind to OpenCV, but we used uh, we just used the um, OpenCV implementation in C, so we wrote a short NIF for that. But uh, it was pretty simple. But I guess with the Elixir bindings, it would be even simpler, and it worked quite worked quite well. It uh, detected uh, faces in our case. And it was quite uh, easy task to accomplish. Maybe I have that somewhere, uh, so I, I can publish the POC. That sounds like a good blog post. Yeah. Do you I'm have? Just gonna say that. Do you have something that you consider sort of a a good hello world where which you would recommend people that want to understand and try membrane? Something that they they should just try as a, a good starting point because I think a lot of people are uncertain what to try with media. Uh, I've poked around a ton with audio and video so I just dove right in but I think most people are like ah multimedia I don't even know. Uh, so. Yeah that's something we want to change uh, that's why we spent some time on creating uh, some tutorials and we have uh, I think pretty decent learn section in our website membrane.stream so definitely go there and check there we also in our organization membrane framework on github we have a membrane demo uh, repository which contains a bunch of demos um, I think the simplest one is called simple pipeline demo and it's um, gets the audio from a mic uh, as just as you Lars said uh, earlier just takes mp3 from the file and it uh, plays it out for a loudspeaker so quite uh, the reverse uh, order and it, i think it's simple and it uh, shows uh, like how to uh, shows the basics of membrane pretty well uh, there are also some more uh, advanced demos and uh, uh, there is also our, for example, video room demo uh, that is quite sophisticated, but uh, we have uh, like a Docker that you can just run and uh, see how it, uh, how it works, how it behaves. And uh, you won't learn the internals of membrane, but you can uh, have some showcase of how it uh, performs. Yeah, that's a big one, right? Because so... When we record this podcast, we're typically in a Zoom meeting. So right now we're in a Zoom meeting, uh, looking at each other's faces and hearing our, each other speak. And that is generally done with WebRTC, and you need a sort of coordination server for helping people find each other. And then it's a bunch of peer-to-peer -peer stuff, and it might go through a server, it might not. There's a ton of weird stuff with video chat. And from what I gather that's that's an implementation of a lot of the annoying parts of video uh, video chat right yes it is we are still uh, working on improving like how it performs and improving the video quality but it already works uh, more and more stable so uh, we are happy with the results 
Uh, yeah, definitely, WebRTC is one of uh, our major things that we are working on currently. Uh, so uh, if that topic is of your interest, then definitely check out Membrane. So you listed quite a few projects that maybe, you know, someone will do in their spare time or as kind of like a hobby thing. But I'm kind of curious from a like industry perspective, what, uh, you know, what kind of clients do you guys usually work with? Uh, you know, you don't have to give away any of their their trade secrets or anything. But, you know, what what industries do you see, <laughs> you know, really adopting and, and getting a lot of value out of uh, uh, Membrane? Uh, so, uh, actually, uh, Membrane is in production in a couple of uh, our clients' uh, like servers. Uh, one of which I can speak of is uh, Discout. Uh, it's not, uh, there is actually not in production yet, but we are doing beta tests now. Uh, so, they are replacing the old uh, SaaS video conferencing engine. Uh, with membrane and uh, we they are focusing on having a good re recording quality especially and we have already had some uh, success with that uh, so we hope that it will land in production there soon uh, there are also some uh, companies uh, that are using membrane without, without our help and i'm super happy uh, because of uh, that membrane reached that state for example, recently we had a, a great contribution from a company called KIM. I guess that's how we read it. And uh, they they did some broadcasting stuff. Uh, they implemented their own video compositor. Uh, this was based of FMPG, but uh, in membrane. And uh, yep, uh, they are doing uh, some video broadcasting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so these are two main uh, use cases, uh, I guess, uh, now, uh, video conferencing and uh, broadcasting. Uh, that's where Membrane uh, plays uh, the best role, I guess. One question that I think we wanted to ask you that we haven't really gotten into yet is, um, what are some of the Elixir language features that have really made Membrane possible or made it robust or helped you solve particular problems in this domain? So uh, I think uh, regarding membrane, it's more about the beam than Elixir. Uh, I think uh, that's uh, one of the um, features that uh, other products lack is fault tolerance. Uh, for example, if you run the FMPEG pipeline and uh, it processes uh, a bunch of streams and uh, there is any error, uh, any bug there, then the whole uh, processing crashes and uh, uh, the it's it, there are very little possibilities uh, for uh, like um, catching this error earlier and uh, like preserving the rest of the stream or rest of the system um, and this is the case also if uh, for example gstreamer and other uh, tools so uh, having the possibility to uh, to have the fault tolerance uh, to restart uh, parts of the system uh, is like a very breaking and uh, I guess uh, super cool feature uh, in this domain that wasn't uh, present anywhere earlier. Also, uh, the other thing is the 
um, concurrency and uh, the soft real-time guarantees that Beam gives. Uh, it's especially important with, when processing some low latency stuff and for example, low latency audio, uh, the uh, guarantee that HTTP uh, uh, request hanging somewhere in the system because some server didn't respond doesn't block the actual audio processing is uh, super cool and super important in the in those cases. I think uh, also the garbage collection uh, in Erlang uh, and Elixir happens in per process manner so that it doesn't block the entire system. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Beam was chosen for membrane instead of, for example, Go, which uh, at that time at least didn't have uh, didn't have uh, local garbage collection and didn't have as great uh, guarantees as BIM has. So I think these are two most important features. <clears throat> However, Elixir is also a very cool language to use every day. And I think uh, without it, we, didn't we wouldn't have so much progress, for example, only using Erlang <clears throat> uh, because Membrane is quite a complex system and the language that was designed just to access the virtual machine is pretty much not enough, I think, uh, for uh, for creating uh, such sophisticated system that doesn't have uh, really many processes uh, actually, but it has a complex uh, code with uh, happening exe being executed in a single process. I hope uh, that I didn't like set too strong words. <laughs> Just a I, ago. I'm not at all surprised to hear a lot of what you said. Um, the fault tolerance, you know, I think makes a lot of sense given the the space that you're in and the problems that you're trying to solve with membrane. And another thing you said towards the end, I think echoes a theme that we've talked about a few times on the show, which is just that um, Elixir is a language that developers and teams are able to be really productive in. And it has a lot of tools and features that let, let's say even a small team or even a team of developers that are let's say newer to the language or newer to engineering, which it sounds like maybe you were at the time that you joined, um, allows them to make a lot of progress and solve some really complex problems in a way that is enjoyable, fun, maintainable. And it sounds like that's the experience that you're sharing. Yep, definitely. And to me, this sounds like a natural sort of continuation of what the beam was built for. Telecommunications. Yes. Well, Today, telecommunications means over the internet because we no longer do phone lines in the regular fashion. And uh, it means, sure, audio, but more commonly also video. Yes, and, but in the uh, end, it uh, doesn't differ that much. I think it di differs yeah. a lot, but conceptually, you still are processing some frames, some packets. Um, sense for a network and for example things like binary pattern matching uh, is uh, super useful also in our case despite it was designed uh, years ago yeah yeah I, I can imagine that the binary pattern matching and sort of that binary processing was pretty important in porting that h264 thing to to elixir i know i've, I've sat down and had to do some some binary pattern matchy sort of involved work with with the id3 stuff i did with the library and it's so nice compared to sort of 
many languages where it's like, oh, read three bytes and then tons of if statements <laughs> or yeah. uh, I know what you are check speaking if of. it's this or that or this or that. And it's like, just match this. Okay, it's either this or this or this. Okay, it's just case statements, uh, function heads. It's very smooth in that regard to do. To do protocols and binary in general in Elixir is very nice. And that's Erlang fundamentally. Yeah, I think that was like one of the first things that I uh, that I saw in Elixir. I was like, "Wow, this is this is straight up uh, witchcraft and magic." I think it was the, the little Elixir OTP guidebook from Manning. I think one of the like first chapters was uh, uh, taking like a PNG file, and you could you could just read the first few bytes, and you can immediately identify it as a PNG file, and that was done via pat uh, binary pattern matching. And that was just such an amazing uh, moment. I was like, ah, this this language, this is the one I'm going to use for a while. Yeah, probably just reading that magic byte or whatever it's called. Sort of th those first few uh, few bits that are intended to to identify the file format. Yeah, uh, yeah. For both small and large binary things, it's it's really quite nice to work with. So this question's a little bit in the weeds, but I know with um, uh, with gen servers and large binaries, sometimes you have binary memory leaks. Uh, are there any issues like that in membrane where it's dealing with large, you know, packets of binary data, and maybe maybe the you know the pipeline needs to be manually hibernated to to you know trigger the garbage collection or anything like that? Have you have you ever had issues with uh, memory leaks in membrane? Uh, I think whenever we had memory leaks, they came from uh, NIPs, so we, from some C code. I don't remember having any problems with uh, memory leaks happening just because of using gen servers. It's uh, pretty surprising to hear that they occur, but good to know. Yeah, I think uh, I was working at a telecom company and we were dealing with large... Um chunks of binary data coming in i think we were processing it with uh with gen stage and uh yeah, we were noticing that we were leaking uh, uh binary memory because i think after a certain point it's no longer on the processes uh heap it gets stored somewhere else if it's of a binary of a certain size and i uh i remember going through erlang and anger from uh fred herbert and uh, I think the solution was every once in a while, just uh, return hibernate from your, your callbacks to kind of manually trigger that um, uh, that garbage collection. So I was curious if uh, you saw anything similar in, in membrane with the, the large binary data, but sounds like the NIFs are the bigger problem. Yes. I've certainly seen, or I haven't seen it personally. I've heard that this sort of handling of large binaries it can be a little bit tricky because at a certain point they're stored in a special manner that is not generally garbage collected and that's mostly fine i think in membranes case you wouldn't normally run into it because it's a pipeline that has to lead somewhere you don't lead it to uh, a certain point and then just start to accumulate that stream because you would run out of memory pretty fast uh, if you just started to to stash it in a binary somewhere. I guess you could build build an element in membrane that's just like, oh, yeah, just store it in memory. It's fine. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. But 
something I have run into in membranes when I've misconfigured a pipeline. And I think you've done a bunch of work to to make this more automated with the um, because there's a bunch of back pressure mechanisms, right? Where where the elements in a membrane pipeline requests work. Uh, or so they I don't remember what it's called. Uh, but there's a bunch of uh, code related to that. And I think you've automated more of it since since I first used membrane. But I know when I misconfigured things or put an element where it really shouldn't be or where there was some other elements needed in between so that it couldn't proceed with processing. So this was typically when I was like, oh, does this pipeline work? And it's like, bam, overflow error. Uh, because almost instantly, it would get this media stream and up to a point where it blew its buffer and no, it can only keep this much. It's configured to only keep this much. And you can tune that buffer, but I could double it. I could ten make it 10 times as long, and it would just take a few more moments before it blew because the pipeline was misconfigured. And that meant the data didn't go anywhere. It stayed in that particular stage. But in a functioning pipeline, it just goes through, and you never store more than sort of max uh, a certain amount of buffering is that a is that a fair characterization yes of course if we start everything just stored in memory that that would happen but I, I wouldn't call that memory leak it's just you know it just what you do uh, it just what you would do in in some case however uh the, the points you mentioned, uh, yes, uh, we have uh, flow control uh, in membrane pipelines. In base, it's based on demands. So uh, the elements demand uh, data, and if they don't demand, they don't get that data. Uh, so they have to like um, request this um, data to for the pipeline to proceed, of course. And we yes we also automated that and uh, in many cases uh, manual management of the flow control is not required and it made a lot of things simpler. Uh, this is uh, particularly cool because uh, actually flow control isn't the point of your interest when you are isn't the main point of your interest when you are just processing the media on the server. Uh, it's just what you have to do, but uh, the main point is actual media processing. So it was this was something really like sometimes annoying to to do, and uh, in many cases it's now not needed. And I think we will uh, our we will continue our work to uh, to uh, have this automated in more and more places. <laughs> um, yep. So I'm curious um, if uh, this memory leak that was suggested wasn't one of the big challenges that you guys faced. What were some of the challenges or even roadblocks that you've encountered while developing Membrane? Uh, well, there were quite a lot. I'm sure. uh, mostly uh, they were related to multimedia, not the beam itself. Uh, so. Uh, Mm, uh, the protocols that we are dealing with, some of them are 20 years old, for example, <clears throat> and uh, like the approach changed over the years. Uh, some uh, 
some uh, things developed, other things didn't, and we had uh, problems figuring out how this is actually supposed to work. That's also what we are going to change by making Membrane a tool pleasant for learning, a tool uh, that can be used to figure out what's happening actually in this uh, stuff. Uh, regarding uh, Elixir, <clears throat> I think uh, the most challenging uh, is uh, the performance uh, aspect of this. Uh, uh, I think the uh, measuring performance and measuring uh, progress, uh, figuring out why the performance drops uh, happens to be challenging, uh, figuring out why uh, some parts of a pipeline are making uh, the entire processing slower, for example, uh, it's really not obvious, uh, particularly because uh, it all happens like uh, concurrently, of course. Uh, so uh, like it depends sometimes on how this flow uh, will go. Mm. But uh, other than that, uh, we still, for example, we, we still managed to uh, improve our performance of, in some cases, for example, by 30%, just by changing a few lines in the membrane core, which is uh, so that uh, on each packet, we didn't do some checks uh, and we, because we could do them uh, more rarely. And this actually, uh, we didn't su suspect that this was the bottleneck. Uh, so we learned a lot in terms of profiling and uh, that stuff. Mm, but other than that, I'm not sure uh, if uh, BIM was really challenging. Uh, I think it was rather helpful. Uh, so uh, most problems we had was strictly related to, to multimedia and that we are um, going uh, exploring areas that no one touched ever or no, no one touched uh, in years or someone does, but uh, silently in uh, his lab and doesn't tell anyone. Yeah, so that seems to be a heck of a thing with sort of streaming videos, particularly like these RTSP and RTMP or RTMPS or like all these protocols, there's not one of them that's like, this is the nice and open one that has a spec and everyone understands. Uh, it seems like it's mostly a mess out there of mixed support and nothing really has a spec. Rather, there are some implementations that are known to work. <laughs> And uh, of course, FFmpeg has one of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that's a tricky, tricky world to be in. And also, I can only imagine the challenges of profiling, especially when you're crossing boundaries between uh, like Elixir code and C code. And it's never, it's never just one sort of function call that's slow. It's never like, I work mostly in web. It's like, oh, I need to optimize a SQL query. I'm pretty sure it's a SQL query somewhere in there. That's, that's just getting slow. But in this case, it's like, you know, after I've, after I've run the stream for two minutes, it starts to slow down. <laughs> okay. Why? Well, 
maybe it's getting some weird frames maybe it's it's just getting tired and hot like is the server heating up is it a different problem no i can only imagine the the annoyances of trying to sort of figure out what an error report is about but you also mentioned that other companies have started to adopt membrane and that's something i i've seen so i'm i'm in your discord i'm not super active in there but i do keep an eye out and that's something I've certainly seen more recently, that there are people in there that are not software management employees that are talking about using Membrane and sort of discussing their challenges and what they are trying and their solutions to things. And that has not been something I've seen before with Membrane. Like if I look a few years back, Membrane was only used by software management from what I could tell. Now there seems to be be sort of this this traction, and I'm, I'm very keen to see sort of hobbyist developers try it more and pick it up because I think it enables some things that almost no other ecosystem has access to. Like a good media processing pipeline is an extremely unusual tool to find. Like everyone would, but just shell out to FFmpeg, and that's as mentioned a pain in the neck. What would you like to see people try and build with Membrane? sort of products or services or libraries for that matter? I would ask the question uh, like another way. <laughs> I think that uh, Membrane enables uh, a lot of customizability and uh, there are uh, really, uh, sometimes there are really weird ideas uh, that uh, like, uh, require like plugging somewhere plugging somewhere really deep uh, inside of the processing pipeline and no uh, tool uh, basically allows it uh, apart from tools that are that are really composable and extendable which uh, i think uh, with membrane is uh, so uh, for that kinds of projects i think membrane fits the best and uh, that's basically what I would like to say. Uh, I would like to be surprised uh, of uh, what can be achieved uh, in terms of media streaming. Uh, I think that's the best answer I can give. And I think it's a fantastic answer. Mateusz, do you have anything else? Yes, actually I have. Uh, I recall um, that uh, we're, we've been talking about Livebook and uh, um, we also uh, had our eye on uh, nerves. Uh, this is, uh, I think there is a very great potential there. We try, we wanted to try to experiment uh, with, uh, for example, video streaming between the nerves devices via membrane, but uh, that's uh, also something that we haven't uh, uh, tried yet. Uh, so if anyone uh, is on nerves and uh, would like to try, I think that uh, that may bring like a super cool effect. Uh, <clears throat> also, we uh, recently worked on a, a tool that uh, we called, uh, that actually is called Video Compositor uh, that enables creating a video uh, from multiple inputs and it allows uh, for uh, providing like custom shaders and there it 
basically offers endless possibilities regarding uh, video composition. Uh, so I think it's a very big potential in it. And we are currently working on an Elixir API because the compositor works on GPU and is written in Rust. But uh, we are working on Elixir DSL that would allow uh, to like, conveniently specify what and how should be composed uh, by this uh, native composer, compositor. Uh, so I think there are many possibilities of uh, that many possibilities of that tool and I'm looking forward for people to use that and create some cool stuff. That look sounds absolutely wild. Uh, love it. All right. And honestly, if uh, you need sort of to connect with some of the nerves folk, uh, let me know. I'm happy to <laughs> happy to connect people and uh, if anyone's out there and thinking, I want to do nerves and I want to see if I can get membrane to to run on nerves devices, uh, shout at us, shout at the software management folks, get in the membrane discord, get in the nerve slack. We'll figure something out. That sounds too cool not to do. Uh, and I mean, how hard could it be? <laughs> I'm wondering too. All right. Well, on that note, uh, I think this is a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Mateusz, it was so interesting and exciting to hear about the background behind Membrane, what it can be used for, what some of the challenges are that you guys have faced. I really hope our listeners check it out if they haven't yet. And uh, before we go, I'll just ask you if our listeners want to get in touch with you, is there uh, a place that they can find out more about what you're working on or what's going on with Membrane next? Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned, there is membrane.stream webpage and all the information is there. Also check out our GitHub and uh, in both places you should see a link to our Discord. Uh, so it's the best place to connect uh, with us. And um, if you need any help or any information regarding membrane, then uh, get in touch. All right. Thank you again. Thank you to Lars and Alex. And we'll catch you guys next time on Beam Radio. Great. That was a great episode. I think that uh, I think that's going to be a popular one. There's so much cool stuff within Membrane, so I'm really glad you were able to join us. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It was really cool to talk with you. Yeah, uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one, and I really, really want to see people just try more things with Membrane mm -hmm. because, as you said, it's like there are so many things you can do. The possibilities are quite endless. There are some challenging bits with sort of how do you get video into your system in the first place sort of that's that's one of the trickier bits uh, and that's where i think like a local and dealing with audio is one of the easier approaches for sure